All right, I promise I'll make this as painless as possible. Musicians talking often is disastrous, but <laughs> we'll do our best. So who knows that in life we don't always do what's best for us? We, we've all had good intentions. We've signed up for the gym or we've said, you know, I'm going to quit sugar. Maybe we've decided I'm going to give up watching uh, romantic comedies on Netflix. Anybody? No? I'll check your watch history later. Um, but who knows that the same is also true for what's inside us. We can know something intellectually, but not really know it at a deeper level. So on one level, we know everything that Jesus has done for us. But at a deeper level, it hasn't changed our life. It hasn't changed the way we think or the way that we act. So we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and, and all the rest. But what we experience is sometimes exactly the opposite. Sometimes the fruit in our life is fear, anger, sadness, anxiety. You know, we're not the only ones that struggle with this tension. The, the Apostle Paul put it like this. Thanks, Phoebe. You want to hit me on the first one? We've got a special code. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is a war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul was struggling with exactly the same thing that we do. A guy who lived a life of extreme devotion, he still couldn't fix it with his own willpower. So what is the answer that Paul's talking about in that verse? Well, you have to read the whole book of Romans to get the full story, but... He does sum it up like this in chapter 12. Thanks for your secret code. He says, Don't copy the behaviour and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. So I want to point out that it's God's spirit within us that does the work. We have this transforming power within us, but we have to partner with it to experience it in our lives. We have to choose to make that connection, to experience the trans transformation. And for me, that's where worship comes in. So worship is one tool that we can use to transform our thinking, to help move our knowledge of God from information to revelation, from the head to the heart. Now, of course, music isn't the only way we can do this, but music is a powerful emotional language. And it can be a way that we can take those truths of God's word, of his nature, his character, of who he really is, and we can help move them from something we know about to something that we really experience at a deeper level. So when we come together on a Sunday, it's both an opportunity and a choice. We can, we can choose to sing a few songs, let our mind wander off, and it's no biggie. I mean, we've all been there, we've all done it. Uh, but on the other hand, we can also choose to step into an opportunity to be transformed by His Spirit within us. Listen, I get it. The songs that we sing uh, may not be your cup of tea. It's, I mean, we try our best. We're never, we're never going to be perfect for everybody. But even if it's not your thing, even if it's not your thing, it's still an opportunity. It's still an opportunity to make that connection in your heart. Okay, enough talk. 
I'm going to lead you in a song, and if you're willing, take it as a chance to let these words connect with your heart, even if you don't know the song. Okay, Phoebe, if you wouldn't mind pulling up the chorus of the song real quick. Alright, so this is the song that we're going to sing. It says, Jaira, you are enough. Now, the name Jaira is one of the names in the Old Testament that, that God um, revealed of himself. And it, it literally means God will provide. Now, we know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is a chance to plant, plant a seed in our heart that says, I don't need to trust in my own strength, but in the God who made everything to provide what, everything that I need. Both physically, mentally, and spiritually. It goes on to say, I'll, I will be content in every circumstance. Now, this is the response we can have to this truth. It, it may not necessarily be the way that we feel. We may not feel content in every circumstance. But we can know true contentment through the Spirit of God within us. Yeah. So it's a chance to remind ourselves of that fact. So as we sing, it's a bit like a meditation. You don't need to know every word. You don't need to know every melody in the song. You can just focus your mind on these truths and let them start to sink in. Okay, so let me I'll put the mic down. I'll teach you how the chorus goes and then we'll sing it. Band, everybody. <laughs> All right, Lauren, why don't you, uh, why don't you take it away? So we'll just, I'll just teach you how the chorus goes, just the melody, and then we'll just, we'll just sing the song. So you can, you can sit, you can stand, you can engage with it however you want.
Make a welcome. Come on, make a welcome. Hello, everybody. Now, it's not often I'm up here to talk, often I'm up here to sing. Those two things are actually very different. All right, so I'm very glad to have the opportunity to talk a little bit because worship is one of my favorite things to do ever. And so I'm just looking for this music so that it's already done. We'll find it later. That's okay. All right, so the act of worship, something that we do every Sunday. A lot of us probably participate in it ourselves during the week. I hope you do because it is wonderful. And it's something that's always held quite a lot of significance in my life because my parents have instilled in me beauty of melody, I've done a lot of music, I've studied music, um, singing in church, raising voice in unified song. It's been a very big part of my life for a very long time and I have sung in church for a very long time. And leading worship and being more in the church has just fed that and continued to help me grow in that. In my limited experience, I'm one of the younger worship leaders, but that's not to say anything about the older worship leaders. Um, <laughs> my limited experience, worship is wonderful, and most of you have much more experience than me, and I think that you would probably say the same, which means we're all on the same page, and that makes everyone happy. Um, and as I've continued to grow in the church, being on the worship team, becoming a worship leader, what we read in the word becomes much more apparent and much more evident in, uh, in, in our lives and then also looking at it in the lives of others. Um, but it's an interesting thing, worshipping God. I don't know if you ever have stopped to think about why we talk, why we sing, why we do all these things that we do at church. Why do we need to worship God? Why do we need to sing to him? Surely the creator of all things, the person, the, the thing, the creator, doesn't need his creation to sing his praises. Little ego boost, lift his spirits, doesn't actually need it. God has spent thousands of years, we can see, we can read in the Bible, he spent thousands of years watching humanity reject him over and over again for idols, for the flesh, for the world. He's watched the Israelites in Exodus grumble and complain, wishing that they had stayed in Egypt when he just rescued them from Egypt because they were hungry and had no water. And they wished that they had stayed there. He's seen kings live and die by the sword, succumbing to lust, succumbing to greed, all the way through the Old Testament, and I mean, still today. And he saw his son Jesus be killed by people who did not have know his love, who didn't know him. And then he gave Jesus as the sacrifice for these people who have just continually rejected him after he has shown time and time again that he is willing to sacrifice everything. So God certainly doesn't need our praise to keep, to keep going. I think that's very evident. So why must we worship? We can pray. We can read the Bible. Surely that's enough. I don't think so. It's certainly not everything. These two are very good things. Prayer is active communication. It's talking, it's listening, it's waiting on God's movement, waiting on God's timing. It's extremely important communication in all relationships to grow in love, to grow in understanding, to grow in compassion. These are things that we need in our human relationships. So why would it be different with our relationship with God? 
It's something that we actually need to grasp and hold on to. Reading the Word is also really, really important. It's nourishment for the soul. It's how we are taught. Paul says in 2 Timothy, and I don't have any slides, but if you would like to read it in your Bibles, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So obviously, the word is also very important for equipping us with this knowledge. But as Ben said, knowledge isn't enough. We can't just know in theory that someone loves us. Otherwise, it's not actually going to mean very much to us. So I think it's timely to look to the word, which is good for instruction, to tell us what we should know about worship. So a, a good place to start is in the Psalms. Psalm 150 verse 6. Let everything that has breath, everything, praise the Lord. Psalm 71 verse 8, my mouth, so this is the psalmist, but also us. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. The whole day, every day, we are declaring God's praise. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 to 4, this one's a little bit of a mouthful. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in troubles and comfort ourselves uh, oh, from the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We, are, we praise God. Well, Paul is praising God for this thing that he has done for us. We have to praise him for that. And in Luke 4 verse 8, I feel like this one pretty much sums up that we should do this. Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God. It is actually a command. It's the second command in the law of Moses. Um, you shall worship no god or idol in the place of the Lord, Exodus 20, verse 4. Worship is an indication of a heart posture towards God. And heart posture is a term that is kind of thrown around. So heart posture is a term that describes the inclination of your heart, what you yearn towards and what you strive for, what you actually are wanting out of something. We should worship because our heart inclines to recognize the Lord for what he has done and for his creation, for his goodness, his worthiness, love, compassion, promises, and for our salvation that came from all of that. When worship doesn't come from the heart, as Ben said, it's just singing. It's not true praise. True worshipers seek to acknowledge God's glory and his mercy, to worship God in spirit and in truth, which is what John says in John 4, 23. And it's an offering of your body as a living sacrifice, which is something that doesn't make a lot of sense. But when it was written in the New Testament, the idea of sacrifice was a very big thing and people knew what it meant for something to be sacrificed. So for you to be a living sacrifice, it's a bit of a, um, what's it called, oxymoron? No. Yes, oxymoron. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. Um, but when we're being true worshippers, we have this uninterrupted focus and this connection to God. It allows our heart and our soul to actually be quiet in a world that is very, very noisy and very, very confusing sometimes. Um, and it's a beautiful act of submission to God and surrender to God. But it is a choice. Again, as Ben said, it's a choice. Um, there is always something that we can be doing. And what we choose to spend our time doing is an important reflection of our attitude, of our heart posture towards God. We want to have a good heart posture towards discipleship and towards worship. Worship is beneficial for us because 
It is a fulfillment of what we've been created to do. We've been put here to worship God and bring his praise. We always yearn to understand what is greater than ourselves. There's always a scientist wanting to go further into space or someone wanting to break the atom further than it's already been broken down. We want to see what we don't know yet. And I think that's because we've been created to seek beyond ourselves. We've been created to seek and praise the creator who created us. Worship lifts our eyes from the world, from the flesh, from circumstances and things that are beyond our control. It aligns our minds with his. It cultivates an attitude of thankfulness and adoration for God, our King, healer, and Savior. It's like if you have a friend and you never thank them for anything that they do for you, it's not going to cultivate a very good relationship. Um, so when you look at everything that God has done and you actually take time to process how magnificent it is, it is so easy to just, even if you're going on a walk in nature, you're like, oh, I'm in nature. But you could actually just stop and think about how amazing it is that things have been created for you to enjoy and for things to be in the world. I'm so taken aback. It is absolutely astounding that despite our sin, we are saved by his overwhelming grace through faith. And because of all of this, he's so deserving of our praise, overwhelmingly deserving of our praise. He doesn't need the words of thanks or affirmation, but it is his desire that we become true worshippers out of truth and out of spirit in faith, um, which is said in John 4, 23. Plus, it brings God joy when we reflect his love back to him. When we do this, we are equipped to show God's love to others. And this time in a secret place, a special place that we can be in with God, that we can sit and pour out our hearts in praise. And that can be in a room with other people, but it is still a private communication with you and God. Spending time in worship, no matter what this may look like for you, in such a wonderful way with God and to practice hearing his voice and feeling his presence and sensing his timing. We cannot reflect God's goodness if we don't take the time to experience it and be transformed by it ourselves. And so it's for these reasons that I've chosen to share on my selected song of worship, which is a little bit of an older one, and it's gone through a couple of translations. So it started as a Swedish poem um, set to a Swedish folk tune called Ostorgut, before being then translated into German and then into Russian, and then someone in Russia, an English person, heard it in Russia and decided to rewrite it in English, but a little bit differently, so it inspired um, the English hymn, How Great Thou Art. Not only is this a beautiful song that was written with someone sitting at his window with it open, with a beautiful sea breeze, it's a beautiful story if you look it up, a sea breeze and he just wrote about how amazing it all was that he was able to look at in the Swedish countryside um, and it has such a captivating melody and beautiful harmonies which for a vocalist is great but for the but the lyrics reflect what the psalmist writes in the psalms so I'll read to you a lot of you will probably be quite familiar but I'll read to you um, the first two verses so, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And it goes on to the second verse. Through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. 
when I look down through lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. You can see it. It's beautiful. It creates the most breathtaking word picture. And this is what good writing is supposed to do. Just for the record, movies, books, good writing should create these word pictures. And this hymn does that for myself and hopefully for you as well. Um, the style of poetic writing is seen throughout the Bible, but again, particularly in the Psalms. So if you'd like to, you're welcome to turn to the following as I read. Or you can close your eyes and see the things that are being described because they are so beautiful. Psalm 8 is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And it continues. Also Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside, oh, he lies me down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heights, you are there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The last one is not a psalm, but I also like it. Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The things that all of these have in common is that complete adoration for the creation that God has made. They are such beautiful images of God's guiding hand, his majesty, his sovereignty, his reverence and his perfection. To sing these words, because most of the Psalms would have been sung, is to lift the name of God high and declare his glory above all things. This is worship, placing God in the highest of highs before all else, declaring his praise, declaring his righteousness, and how great thou art reflects this in all of its refrains as well. It evokes the images of those same amazing things that God has made. The consideration of the things in creation is quite possibly the easiest ways that we can start to worship, because we're beholding something that is made by a creator. It makes you wonder, it makes you filled with praise and gratitude and just the things that we have, the things that we can see, and then ultimately that that we can't see. The chorus is very similar. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art. Um, how great thou art means how great, you, thou, how great you are, sorry. Those less accustomed to old English, thee, thou, thy. Um, it makes sense, me, you, I, you. Um, but it, the remainder of the song continues to tell this beautiful story of Christ dying for our salvation. And this is then where our worship can also be directed. It's like we take that extra step. God is to be praised for these things. The message in this song is the song of the gospel. And it speaks of our unworthiness being taken away. And that we're dealt, like God has dealt with it and the Lord is now dwelling within us. It is truly something that's difficult to completely and wholly grasp. And the sheer height and the sheer depth of God's love. And the actual weight of these words when you think about it. And all worship songs are like this. When you think about the words that you're actually singing, it can be quite, you can be quite taken 
taken aback. Do I actually mean these words that I'm singing? I, was, I remember being in primary school, being challenged by a um, Hillsong worship song where it says, take, take, take it all. And someone then said to me, it's like, do you actually, do you actually want that to happen? I was like, no. So why are you singing it? I was like, that's actually a very interesting point. I don't really want that to happen, but that's what the words are. So it was kind of like that. Oh, you really have to think about the words that you're singing. And it's the same. I mean, even you see this in pop music, you don't really want to be singing a lot of the things that are in those songs. Maybe just, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> it is challenging for us to consider the gravity of these words, but it is important for us to consider the gravity of these words. And when we do, it can't lead to anything else other than this adoration, this complete awestruckness that we experience. And it just concludes with the most beautiful um, idea of Christ coming back. And it's just such hope and such beautiful, beautiful conviction that it's been written with and that we can now sing. Um, so saying that, we're going to sing it. And I want to encourage you, you're welcome to stand. I, most of you will know this song. Um, you're welcome to stand. You're also welcome to sit and just listen because it is so beautiful. And just consider the words that are being sung over you or that you are singing and have that really important time of ministration to your soul and just listening to what is being sung through these words when we do consider, take time to consider the things that are in the world, the creation that has been made and how wonderful God is.
we offer it up afresh to you in case we've you know pulled it back a bit because we don't like you having total control but we just rest our hearts now in your hands and we say lord have your way show us as we continue on with the service what it is that you would like to swap out in our heart those things that we no longer need because they're not helpful to us even though it might be uncomfortable or painful we offer it to you god and we thank you that you give such good good things in exchange for our brokenness for our stone our rock our our pain we don't want to box you in god I want you just to repeat after me, Holy Spirit, Spirit. is there any part of my heart that I need to hand over afresh to you? I ask you to have your way as we continue this service and bring healing to me. In Jesus' name. Can you guys all hear me okay through this one? Yes. Can we hear this one? It's still on. Um, how beautiful is that, Jazz? Yeah. Brilliant. Amazing. Like I get to follow that, hey? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's cool hearing from our worshippers, I think. You know, we're blessed to be um, led week in, week out in, in song by these guys, but to hear their heart is... Um, it's so special and, and to talk about worship I think is important. Yeah. Uh, we can do it week in, week out and not you know, completely grasp why we're doing it sometimes. Um, I'm going to keep the guitar here because it's my buffer between me and you. Um, and I'm going to read off my phone because that just keeps me in touch with the, the young worship leaders. <laughs> it does. Thank you. Um, nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with you, Ben. That's good. Um, so, I didn't say it. <laughs> um, so, this morning, um, when, when this came up a couple of weeks ago, and Mike mentioned it to me, um, I was listening to a couple of messages uh, which had this similar kind of theme of worship interwoven through them, and they weren't particularly worship messages, but... Um, they were speaking my heart at the time, and so um, I, feel, I feel like when God mentioned this, I felt like this was what he was wanting to share with you guys this morning. And um, I'm going to talk about violent worship. So um, I'm going to try and squeeze a fair bit of scripture into this because we're going to have to. Um, and it sounds harsh, but just stick with me. Um, so... Jesus says in Matthew eleven twelve, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of speculation around what this verse means and what Jesus is saying here. Um, but I propose that he's referring to the, the influx of people rushing into the kingdom due to John the Baptist's ministry. Um, and... The Greek word used for violent in this passage is actually equivalent to the word forceful um, and can be likened to waves um, smashing against the side of a ship um, in Acts 27. So 
Um, people were forcefully entering the kingdom, if you want to think about it that way. So yeah, it sounds like a bit of a, a negative because our modern use of the word violent and force um, is, is that way. But um, in Acts 2.2, it says that from heaven came a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole place. Um, so the same word violent there is actually used to describe the Holy Spirit forcefully entering the earth. Um, in Acts 16, Paul and Silas were worshipping in prison when the prison doors were opened by a great earthquake that shook the foundation of the prison. Um, hang on to that one for a second. Some of my interest was kind of peaked around this um, with the, the Christmas story this year and looking deeper into a story that um, we hear every year and uh, we potentially start to miss you know, the depth of what was actually happening in that story due to our familiarity with it. Um, so we read that after the wise men had visited Herod, they again saw the bright star in the sky and they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Uh, now that's a verse that I've always just cruised through um, and not taken a lot of notice, but I was thinking they were just, you know, acknowledging that they were happy to see the star again. But there is, there's actually a double emphasis on their joy being exceedingly great joy. And the Greek word for great here is the same word used to describe, define the earthquake that opened the prison doors for Paul and Silas in the prison. And the word exceedingly is the adverb of the Greek word for violent. So when, they, when those wise men worshipped and when they um, proclaimed their joy, they're probably not those blank-faced noblemen that we so often see in, in pictures and um, the way that the world depicts them. Um, but the Bible says that their expression of joy was great like an earthquake, or in another word, violent. It's not a passive expression of worship. Um, Shout to the Lord with joy all the earth. And these wise men, when they finally arrived at Jesus' house, worshipped him with the fullness of their resources, with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and probably a lot more. Um, see, real worship is abandonment. True worshippers don't have a problem with generosity. To wrap us up with this this morning, in Exodus, Moses continually approaches Pharaoh to let his people go so that they may hold a feast to God in the wilderness. In other words, they were going to worship. And the enemy's plan is actually revealed through this story. Pharaoh continually says, you can go, but don't take the women and the children. Or you can go to worship, but don't take your flocks. In other words, don't take your resources with you to worship. The enemy is trying to control their expression of worship. Pharaoh says you can go, but don't go too far. Don't be extreme. And the enemy has the same plan today because he knows the power of abandoned worship. Worship is a recognition of worth. It can be as simple as driving and lifting your eyes to see the glory of God in the heavens rather than driving through life with the blinkers of process on. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah builds an altar of worship. The flames come down and lick up the timber, rocks and water and a whole nation of Baal worshippers and witchcraft turn to Jehovah. So my challenge this morning, and this was as much a challenge for me too, is our worship sacrificial in all things? 
is our goal including God in everything we do or actually glorifying him in everything we do? Um, and so I've chosen just a very simple song this morning, which I discovered pretty much my whole band doesn't even know. I thought it was a classic. <laughs> Not helping myself with the age thing, am I? Um, but it, I just think it's easier to find true abandonment in the simple. Um, and nothing, we sing so many beautiful songs and I love the songs that we sing, but when I was thinking about this, I just thought nothing really can do that justice um, in one song. And so, um, yeah, we're just gonna sing this simple song, Let It Rain. Um, and I just challenge you to, let's express the measure of worth God has in our lives. Um, because the devil will really do anything he can to sterilize our worship.